So hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. So today we're joined by Andrew Chen of Matu. So hi Andrew, could you share a bit about what is Matu's investment thesis and how do you guys like find these great founders to back? Kia ora and hello. Uh, kia ora is hello in Te Reo Māori, the language of New Zealand. Uh, and so Matu is an early stage fund that invests in uh, science and deep tech. Uh, we specialize in what we call first check investments, which are typically at that pre-seed or seed stage. Uh, and we're looking for uh, things that are going to make a difference in the world. So a lot of deep tech ventures are companies that are commercializing technologies that are more likely to be able to um, have a positive impact on the environment, on people, you know, more so than maybe just another software app. Um, and so naturally, a lot of these ideas are coming out of research institutions like universities. Um, and in terms of us being able to find those ideas, it's about us being where the researchers are. So there are some funds where, you know, they might say we invest in science and they wait and they wait for people with good science to turn up at their door. Uh, for us, we have to invest and spend a lot of our time on building relationships with researchers before they even know that they might be going towards commercialization or towards a startup. Um, because the point is that we want to go out and find that really interesting research and say, this is something that could make a positive difference on the world. We want to be there to both provide financial capital, but also provide human capital in the form of support to make sure that those companies can be successful. Have a deep tech VC fund. You're part of a deep tech VC fund, and you guys are really right where the researchers are. So you're right where your founders are, and you're really embedded into that ecosystem. So my next question to you is: So, what types of founders does Matu usually back, and what have been some of the most successful portfolio companies in your portfolio? Yeah, so the vast majority of our founders are researchers. They're people who have been inside universities or other research institutions for many years. Um, and there are some investors out there who don't like that. They say, you know, found, academic founders um, don't know how to run businesses. I think for us, what we think is that um, academic founders should be given the same chances as any other founder. Um, and most founders just don't know what they don't know. I don't think any founder knows how to do everything correctly, successfully before they start a business. Um, and the way around that is to provide help and support. Um, so our job as active investors is to guide those academic founders as they go through this journey. And we have that conversation really openly at the beginning that this might not be something for them. Um, you know, that, that they might give this a go and realize actually they would prefer to be a CTO or a CSO rather than running the company. Um, but we think that they should give it a go. And as long as we all try to help and give them as much support and give them the right tools, then they have just as good a chance of success as anybody else. Um, so one of our really good success stories is a company called Elemetry. They have a uh, device that does electrogastrography, which is measuring the electrical signals of the gut, of the stomach. And they are using this as a non-invasive method of uh, diagnosing gastrointestinal diseases. About one in five adults in the US will experience some form of gastrointestinal disease at some point in their life. And this technology is built on 10 years worth of research at the University of Auckland. 
there's this really amazing founder, Dr. Gregor Grady, who is the CEO of that company. And he's been there from the beginning. He's really led this company all the way through. Um, you, if you're going to be an academic, you're probably going to be pretty clever. You probably know how to learn. And he's definitely leveraged those skills to become a really, really effective founder in the medtech space. So in your opinion, what makes an effective founder? Like what are the traits you would look for in an effective founder? And how do you identify such people? Like beyond just them being researchers, like how do you really find these exceptional people to back? We are definitely looking for people who are willing to learn and can learn um, and that can learn quickly. So um, people who um, are able to understand the boundaries of their knowledge and but are also really keen to go beyond those boundaries. Um, so most of our founders will have very deep expertise in a particular area um, of science or technology, but they're looking to grow beyond that. Um, so for a lot of our founders, they're involved in uh, training or skills development programs a few years before they start a company. Um, we have some programs here in New Zealand that uh, help those founders learn some of those commercial skills just to sort of lower that barrier to entry for them. Uh, and then uh, once they've founded the company, we want to be able to guide them on that journey. We're not going to tell them exactly what to do in every single point in time, but we need to be able to point them in the right direction. And we need to know that they're going to take our advice seriously and, and like consider that. We might not be right 100% of the time, but the founders need to you know, acknowledge that we're coming from a place of experience that might be different to theirs um, and be willing to, to work with us on that. So I think my biggest takeaways from all that was to find effective founders. They have to have a deep expertise in their domain. And you also have to couple that with programs where they can learn these commercial skills and learn how to be commercially viable. So my next question to you is, so how did you become a venture partner and how can someone in the audience listening today, what is one actionable advice for them on how they can bring into VC or how they can become a venture partner and a VC fund. Yeah, so my background is in AI and machine learning. I have a PhD from the University of Auckland here in New Zealand. Um, and I was doing this in the mid 2010s, right at that um, you know early part of the deep learning uh, trend that we are seeing the fruits of today. Uh, and at the time, what happened was um, I always had this interest in startups and entrepreneurship, but I wasn't really sure if that was what I wanted to get into. Um, if I was doing AI development, I'd probably end up in some kind of startup somewhere. Um, but when I finished my PhD, you actually have the six to nine month period between when you submit your thesis, when you submit the written piece of work that is, you know, the thing that you've been working on for four years, um, and when you actually get examined and when you pass. Uh, and lots of people go out and get jobs during that time and they just start working. But for me, what I thought was, here is an opportunity in my life where I can afford to take some more risks. Um, I can go do something that's different. And if I don't like it, I can still go back to being an AI engineer. Um, but if I do like it, then, you know, this, this, this at least I can uh, say that I've tried it and that this is something that I might try again in the future. So I signed up for a six month contract as an analyst. Um, and four and a half years later, I'm still doing the job. Um, I think, the reason why I managed to get into it was 
that I was in the sort of early stage startup ecosystem in New Zealand. Um, I met the general partner of the fund that um, is now Matu. And at the time when he was setting up the fund, I was there at the right time to be able to say, are you interested in hiring an analyst? Um, could someone like me potentially come join your fund? I think being in the right place at the right time um, is, you know, it, it sounds like it's very serendipitous. It sounds like it's a lot of luck, but actually it's creating your own opportunities is creating the conditions so that if you do get lucky, you're able to convert on that luck. Um, so, you know, I'd spent several years in the early stage um, startup ecosystem and the science ecosystem, uh, learning about startups and just meeting all of the people here, um, not really sure what might come of it, but because I had built a couple of years of relationships, when this new fund was being set up, um, some people knew me and they could say, yeah, he would be a really good fit for this fund and we should get him to come be one of our first staff members. I think that was a really great point on, it's not just serendipitous, but it's also more luck and timing. And so my question to you is, next question is, so you, you had shared a bit about New Zealand and so, and being embedded in the ecosystem there. So how can a student today be involved in New Zealand startup and VC ecosystem? And also, could you share a bit for the audience who may not be familiar with the ecosystem? like any of the trends or like anything that you're seeing as like an insider now, like what could you say to somebody on the outside? Sure. Um, I think in terms of students wanting to get involved in this space, um, every university has a pretty good entrepreneurship competition or, um, you know, a local community of people who are interested in startups. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to be in a startup in order to be part of that community. Um, it's just about, you know, building those connections with uh, the people who are living in this space. And for people who are outside of New Zealand, one of the things that is really nice about New Zealand is how interconnected we are. Uh, we talk about having two degrees of separation to anybody else in the country. You probably know someone who knows someone. Um, and so uh, we have a remarkably flat hierarchy in New Zealand. Like if anybody wants to just come and talk to me about how to become uh, someone working in venture capital, like I'll probably take a coffee meeting with them. Um, there's, there's no sort of hierarchy to say, oh, I'm too good for them just because they're a student and I'm five years into my career. Um, I'm very happy to spend time with people because when I was a student, people spent that time with me. Um, and so New Zealand is this ecosystem of 5 million people. It's relatively small, um, but you know, Singapore is 5 million people. Um, and there's definitely a lot of potential for somewhere like New Zealand to grow um, a startup ecosystem that can be competitive with the likes of Singapore and Israel, other you know, well-known small startup ecosystems. Um, I think we have, some like contradictions in our ethos. We're a country that's at the bottom of the world. It's quite far from everywhere else. But at the same time, that means that we do have a lot of people who look out into the world. And we often don't view New Zealand as being that first market that we need to crack. Uh, for a lot of our companies, we will go straight overseas and start selling to the US or start selling to Australia or China or other large 
um, larger economies. Um, and that sets us up quite well for when we're thinking about internationalization and globalization of our businesses. It's something that a lot of New Zealanders will think about early in the process. We also have a very vibrant investor community. Um, we actually have one of the highest rates of angel investors per capita in the world. Um, so there's lots of people who are interested in this space and they want to really contribute. The like professional investment uh, class is still growing. So a lot of the funds that are now um, running in New Zealand have been set up over the last maybe five to 10 years. Um, and so we don't, we only have one really major fund that has multiple vintages. Uh, and there's that development and maturity that is happening now. Um, so it's a really exciting time to be involved in venture capital in New Zealand, because I think if you went back 10 or 20 years, there just really weren't that many options. There weren't that many professional investors involved. But uh, now there is a lot more money in the mix um, and there are a lot more skilled individuals, smart individuals who are trying to make sure that money is going to the right companies and then providing really good support to those companies. Yeah, I think those are some great points. And I think just to wrap it up for the audience, just to sum up what you've been saying. So New Zealand's ecosystem is very interconnected. There's a lot of vibrant investor community. And in terms of trends, companies in New Zealand are tending to look outside New Zealand and looking at more international expansion. So my next and last question to you is, so what are the skills needed to break into VC? So this is a topic that maybe my audience who's like college students and freshers would definitely love to learn more about as they become more interested in VCs and startups and stuff. So what skills as an insider now, like what skills do you say that one should definitely have? Yeah, when I like was coming into this venture capital space, I had the perception that there were lots of really hard skills that I needed to have in order to be able to do a good job. Um, and I have an engineering background um, and I did a commerce undergraduate degree, but I didn't do finance um, and I didn't do accounting. And I thought, oh, I, if I like can't do these things, then I'm not going to be a very good um, employee in a VC fund. Um, I think a couple of years on, what I've realized is that it can be helpful to have those hard skills, to have that grounding. And there are certainly lots of people who go through this industry and they go and sit their CFA exams and that sort of thing. But I've really come to appreciate that there are these softer skills that actually are more about who you are as a person that means that you're going to be able to do a good job in VC. And I think one really important one is curiosity and being able to learn quickly. Um, if you are in a really specific niche fund, then maybe you want really deep expertise in that area. But most funds are quite broad and quite generalist. And there's just no way that anybody is going to be able to know deeply about every possible thing that might pitch to your fund. So your job and the VC fund is to learn about every all of these opportunities, all of these different technologies and sectors and markets as quickly as possible so that you can have an intelligent conversation with the founders. The second is logical reasoning and critical thinking. I think, um, you know, stemming from that curiosity and learning quickly is being able to bridge between 
bits of information that you've got because you're not going to necessarily have all of the information that you need, especially if you're investing at an early stage where there is a lot of uncertainty, there is a lot of risk. Logical reasoning is the thing that allows you to say, I've got this information here, I've got that information there. If I connect those things together, then I can fill in some of the gaps. The critical thinking part comes in because unfortunately, not everything that everyone tells you is going to be true. Um, you need to be able to identify, not necessarily if somebody is being a bad actor or lying to you, but if somebody is maybe telling you a half truth or if they're maybe exaggerating things, you need to be able to critically evaluate what they're saying and be able to say, mm, maybe that's not 100% correct or maybe that's not logically true. Um, the third one uh, is probably the most important is just people skills, just being able to interact with people. I think there is a role in venture capital funds for people who are really strong introverts. Um, I'm an introvert and I don't really like um, going to networking events with hundreds of people and having to meet everybody. That's not my like natural environment. Um, and uh, you know, as an introvert, you can still do really well um, by being strategic about how you interact with people and doing a lot of back office work. But at the end of the day, um, VC is about investing in people. You're only going to be seen as a credible investor if people can learn about you. Um, and that requires a lot of energy going out, meeting people, building relationships with people. Um, it is a very relationship driven industry. It is a lot about reputation um, and, and you just have to build that profile over time. Uh, there's definitely like a disadvantage for young people coming into the space. Um, I wish it wasn't there, but definitely like these are industries that are dominated by people who have been doing this for a long time. And they do look at young people and kind of say, well, what are you doing that's going to prove that you are special, that what are you going to do that's going to prove that you're someone who's going to stick around and become somebody who's been in the industry for a long time. And that just comes down to how you sell yourself, um, how you can show your value to other people in the industry. So actually you touched on a really great point on building relationships and adding value. So I just, came up with a really uh, interesting question for you, which is, so how can one build relationships with VCs and founders with no network starting just from scratch? And also how can one be of value add to VCs when they have nothing? So basically when they're just starting out or like, yeah. So how can one like do that? Sure. I think, um, one thing that I would really steer people away from is just going to like networking events. Um, it's really actually not that valuable to go to an event where there's a hundred people, everybody's just talk, walking around, shaking hands, giving up business cards because you have a like two minute, five minute conversation with someone. Um, and chances are tomorrow they will probably forget who you were. Um, what I really think people should be looking for is opportunities to demonstrate value. Opportunities to demonstrate who you are, what your skills are, um, and, and why you are going to be someone that is interesting to talk to or why you are going to have the right skills to help someone beyond just the conversation. And so examples of this are like, you know, if you've got some technical skills, go to a hackathon and build something. Um, if you are uh, more sort of in the commercial world, 
you know, enter like an entrepreneurship competition and just put in a business plan or um, do some pitching competitions. These are the sorts of environments where you get to show off a bit more about who you are and what your skills are, rather than just like having a conversation and trying to convince somebody that you are like of value. Um, then I think in terms of building those skills, a lot of it is just practice. Um, so, you know, you, you might not know what you're doing the first time you go to a hackathon, but by the time you've been to your third or fourth one, um, you're going to have a much better understanding of what the community norms are, what the expectations of people in that community are. And you're going to be able to like build something much more impressive the fourth time round than the first time you go to a hackathon. Um, I also think that, um, you know, exposing yourself to the ecosystem by just like learning the jargon, like listening to podcasts like this one are a really good way of like learning about how people in these industries think, um, what sorts of words they're using so that you can converse with them in their language. Um, there's a really strong role for people who can translate between different industries and sectors. Um, and if you can find a way for you for, for yourself to kind of be a connection in the ecosystem, um, then that's a really good way to add value to anybody in the industry. I think I really loved your point about building skills and I'm a firm believer in skills over resume and so yeah, so that's kind of where I wanted to have this conversation go. So it was an absolute pleasure and an honor to host you on the podcast today and do share how the audience can get in touch with you or pitch to Matu. And yeah, anything you could share on that would be amazing. Yeah, feel free to have a look at our website, www.matu.co.nz. Uh, we do have an investment mandate that restricts us to only investing in companies that are, have a strong New Zealand connection. Doesn't have to be domiciled in New Zealand, but we need to see that there is that strong relationship to New Zealand. And that's just something that our investors ask of us. Um, but if you do have any questions and you'd like to get in touch, I'm always happy to have a look at a pitch deck and give some feedback. Um, feel free to reach out to me. I'm A-C-H-E-N-H-N -E at matu.co.nz. Um, or you can find me on Twitter, um, Andrew T.Y. Chen. There is another much more famous Andrew Chen who works at Andresen Horowitz. Um, you can go follow him too. He's pretty good value. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, I have an open opportunity to reach this audience. So if you want to reach college students and freshers interested in startups and venture capital, and just in terms of the demographics, the age of 18 to 22 is the highest age demographic in India and US are the two largest country demographics of listeners for this podcast. Email me at bizpodruhi at gmail.com. So thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode and hope you've learned something new.